0: I read this back a couple of years ago and I was like "That's it's so cool to look back at your evolution of thinking from just being a consumer in this life I was working at a company and I was shopping three times a week, I was a consumer and I wasn't spending my life creating anything new in any capacity and I really just wanted to flip that switch from taking to giving, consuming to producing and I guess it was in 2017, 2018 that I really began to have that mindset shift and then fast forward a couple of years when this rental year came about it just made so much sense to me it was like a right time right place for the market for myself and then I started working on this business sort of six months I was at my old company and start business on yeah. the side that was very mental it was yeah. crazy but it's incredible when you're so married to an idea you have an unlimited supply of energy within and funny you just make it work so you work on the weekends you work at night mm. you just make that side hustle come yeah. true I guess
1: Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of Millennial Entrepreneur. The ambition of the podcast is to show relatable stories from young entrepreneurs doing some incredible things to inspire the next generation, including you listening wherever you are. We've been doing this podcast for over three years and the ambition has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the scale of where we want to go. We want to bring on bigger guests for you guys to show more and more relatable and inspiring stories from young entrepreneurs across the world. The majority of you guys listening haven't subscribed to the podcast yet. All you have to do is click that subscribe button wherever you're listening on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and that will allow us to bring on bigger guests and ask the questions to them that you really want to hear. And it really is that simple. So thank you again for clicking on the podcast and enjoy the episode. George, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I wanted to have you on for a long, long time. So I'm really, you know, massive pleasure to have you on. It'd be amazing to like hear a bit about you before we jump in.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. What would you like to know? We begin. How far back would you like to go?
1: I guess like everyone in their life has got like a, a turning point. Yeah. I know we're getting like very deep, very quickly.
0: <laughs> I'm into it. I want to go. <laughs>
1: that's, that's what we do on the podcast. We just go very deep, very quickly. So when, when was that turning point in your life, would you say? and then we, can, we can start from there.
0: Turning point to clarify to what to become an entrepreneur or... What? What specifically? I just like
1: be more certain about yourself as an individual.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is very clear to me. So <laughs> I grew up in South Africa, and I was very sporty at school. I was kind of good at academics, but I didn't ever really apply myself. I prioritized a more well-rounded, wholesome education. Then I went to university in Cape Town, and after I graduated with a psychology and business degree. I moved to London and, <clears throat> and I didn't know what I wanted to do, I didn't know what I would be, how I wanted to spend my time. All I knew was that someday I would be doing something for myself and I wanted to change a system in some way. I didn't know what that was going to be, it was very pie in the sky. but essentially my second job i ever got in london was at a trend forecasting company called wgsn and i started as an intern i didn't even know trend forecasting and consumer insights was an industry or a business that i could get involved in but when i one of my friends told me about this internship that was opening up there and something all of a sudden just clicked i was like wow i'm so I'm interested in fashion. I love psychology. I love consumer behavior. This just makes so much sense. I I, I love thinking about the future and developing future solutions and tackling problems of today. Um, and I didn't have very much experience in my career. But when I heard about this business, something in me just clicked. And I was like, wow, this makes sense. This feels like I'm going to be where I need to be. Mm at the right time, at the right place. And I guess that was the first moment in my career where all of my interests came together in one business, yeah. which was really satisfying. I, I, I sort of moved to London just being like, I'm gonna try out a whole lot of jobs until I find something that I really like. That was my attitude. And luckily this was the second company I applied for and started working for and I started as an intern and it was absolutely fascinating so basically this is an information services business that sells brands consumer brands fashion brands information on future trends and how to adapt them to the future consumer and I absolutely let I worked my way up to the consulting team over a period of about four years I moved about four times within those four years within the business because mm. I was like okay this is fun but what's next like I want to get I want to sink my teeth in deeper to this business I want to learn more I want to be more involved with projects more involved with clients um, I guess I I've I've always been very hungry and impatient, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't ever stay in one role longer than like a year, I'd say. So I eventually worked my way up into the consultancy and there, it was really interesting. We were working on such cool projects at the time. I was like, wow, this is my dream job. I can't believe I've landed here. I remember sitting in the boardroom, which was this really cool, office looking Piccadilly, and thinking, this little girl from Durban, South Africa, like, wow, what a cool job.
1: <laughs>
0: um, I loved it so much. And so the types of projects we would work on is like, what is the future of personal mobility? And what does that look like? And what is the next luxury fashion handbag? What does that look like? What are the future of accessories and the future of like consumer behavior and how they're living and breathing and moving in space? Yeah, And... I loved the big ideas and the blue sky thinking like that's what I'm really, really passionate about. Um, but at the same time, I was working very closely with some fashion brands that I had to churn out new product for them on like a monthly basis. And essentially it was this constant churn of product mm. and fashion and playing into this linear fashion system that made me feel really comfortable and something really didn't sit well the whole whole
1: like fast fashion industry exactly
0: i was i was just a a cog in the machine so i was contributing to fast fashion being churned out i was the trend forecasting consultant that was implementing Mm -hmm. new trends on a monthly basis yeah and i had this overwhelming sense of eco anxiety where i would pull my colleagues aside into meeting rooms and be like. How can we continue to perpetuate this? Surely we need to do something. Well, I was just like, I don't know about you guys, but I want to do something about this. Yeah. And um, when we were looking to our future consumer and future business models, being a forecasting agency, we were looking at how the future of fashion very much lies in circularity, so rental, resale, repair, mm. All of the rees just really flipping the fashion industry from a linear one to a circular one. And I had a light bulb moment and this was certainly the turning point. Or when I knew that this was the right thing to do was one of the senior directors was just talking about rental and there were no fashion rental platforms in the UK that were dealing directly with businesses. So there were some peer-to-peer platforms but... Nobody was helping brands change their business models and start new business models and get into the circular fashion economy. Yeah, it was
1: very much like you as an owner, as an individual can rent your existing clothes with other people. Yeah. It wasn't like business at all. Yeah. yeah. You're right.
0: Exactly. But I think back to your question on the personal turning point in these four years that I was working at this agency, I, as a young, very early 20-something-year-old, I started out my career moving to London, having fun, kind of coasting along. Yeah. Um, kind of, you know, just having a good time and taking opportunity, business opportunities as and when they came to me. But I always felt like I wanted to contribute more and I always had something more to give. And I look back at a diary entry that I wrote in, like, 2017 or something and it was like this year is a year for creation not consumption so and I read this back a couple of years ago and I was like that's it's so cool to look back at your evolution of thinking from just being a consumer in this life I was working at a company and I was shopping three times a week and I was just like I was I was a consumer and I wasn't spending my life creating anything new um, in any capacity and I really just wanted to flip that switch, from taking to giving, um, consuming to producing, and I guess it was in yeah 2017 2018 that I really began to have that mindset set shift, um, and then fast forward a couple of years, when this rental year came about, it just made so much sense to me. It was like a time right place for the market for myself. Mm. Um, And then I started working on this business, sort of six months I was at my old company and start business on the side. So that was very mental, it was crazy, but it's incredible when you have such, when you're so married to an idea, you have an unlimited supply of energy within, and funny, you just make it work. So you work on the weekends, you work at night, Mm. you just make that side hustle
1: come true, I guess. Did you never, did you never think about sort of using that idea and implementing it within that, within the, like the job that you already had, or was it something, because you said they they think about something like that, was it nothing that they wanted to take forward with say existing clients or anything like that?
0: Yeah, so clients were implementing it, but what I wanted to do was create a marketplace where you could get multiple brands and serve multiple types of customers, um, and I just thought it would really fast forward the adoption of circular fashion. If I could just go out there and do it myself, rather than trying to convince 20 people in a large organization that yeah. they need to implement a new business model. Yeah. Why not just go out and do it yourself?
1: When was the, so you started at six months, you said you were still at the company. Mm. At what point were you, did you decide like, no, I wanna do this like full time?
0: So I left, the business when I launched Rotaro. So, on the day that it launched, on the 13th of November, 2019. Um, oh, damn, you know, you know the exact date. <laughs> I know the dates. Um, that's when we launched.
1: Was it a scary, like, jump? Was it was it okay? Like, what, how did it feel?
0: It felt so right. I can't explain it to you. It felt so natural. It, it, truly down to my gut, it felt like the right thing to be doing. And I didn't look back. I haven't looked back once, not even for a split second.
1: Mm. That's really interesting. So we we got where the idea came from. So you wanted a business sort of rental platform for fashion. What, within within those six months, what were you actually doing day to day when it came to, I know you'll be working as well, but like what were you doing in order to validate, in order to like see that this is something that brands want in order to like get some traction, like what were you kind of doing in order to sort of test this?
0: Yeah, so in the beginning, in the early days, We started out just by setting up the platform. We purchased some pre loved garments with brands, from brands that we wanted on our platform. So before we even spoke to the brands, we wanted a platform up and running. And it was very gung-ho. We were washing garments in the bathtub, we were (laughs) buying things off bestia collective and ebay it was very scrappy we didn't have much budget like we were just doing things ourselves all i knew was that i had a very clear vision as to what i wanted the brand to be what's what i wanted the service to be i knew who the customer was going to be and i just wanted to like fake it till you make it and that's very much what we did in those first few months before we even went and spoke to brands um we were just setting up something that looked reasonably legit (laughs)
1: but before we go on I want to tell you guys very quickly about the podcast sponsor Zencaster now I know so many of you guys have a business and as you guys know as well I have my own business called Wing that focuses on in-person networking and looking for new sort of marketing channels for people to and business owners to you know learn about our product You guys are part of the new podcast revolution, right? There's so many more people listening to podcasts than there were before. And so as a business owner myself, I've been looking more and more increasingly into podcast advertising as a way more effective way than display advertising. And I mean, the data as well shows it. So like 67% of listeners remember brands and 63% of them actually make a purchase after hearing them on a podcast. The trouble is, podcast ads are nowhere near as targeted as social media ads and they don't have the same level of data than you would expect through Facebook, you know, Instagram or Google advertising. And this is where Zencast has come in. So whether you want to diversify your ad spend as a new marketing stream or test out podcasting ads, Zencast's new creator network makes it easy for brands like ours and yours to connect with podcasters. And Zencast's mission here is to make podcast advertising as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. And the amazing thing is Zencast actually matches you as the brand to the best podcasts that have the same sort of audience as you. And so your product gets to the right audience and you can maximize your advertising campaign budget as a business owner i'm always willing to try new marketing strategies and so this one really caught my attention and so if you are interested in sponsoring this show or other podcast ads for your business then go to the link in the description fill out the contact information so zencast can help you and you can bring your story to life so back on with the show that was my that was my sort of next question is like the challenge for creating like a two-sided marketplace because obviously you need you need the brands to to list the, the items and then obviously you need the 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 customers to actually rent them and like neither really works without the other, right? But you kind of answered it really nicely and I guess like people listening it kind of like highlights because you you kind of set one side up yourself so you kind of like took the role of the the brands and kind of like bought their products yourselves and as you said it was very scrappy at first but it kind of like as soon as you can get the, the people renting it then you validated that one side works yeah. and now like the other side you just have to sort of like you know, you can go to the brands and say, listen, we've got this many people. Like, it's a very easy decision from there, from there on to do it. Starting from scratch, like, travel both sides at the same time is very challenging.
0: Completely. That's exactly what we did. So once we had customers on board, we then went to brands and said, listen, this is our brand mix. These are our customers. This is who you can access because fashion rental is a great way to access new customers, great customer acquisition channel. And a lot of these brands are always looking at new ways to reach new markets and new audiences. So it's quite funny. We have a story about Gani who's one of our largest, uh, rental partners at the moment. And we, first we knew that we wanted them on board so we just bought some of their stuff and slapped it on the website and a couple of weeks or months later we got a cease and desist from Ghani a letter oh, a legal wow. letter and they were like please do not continue uh renting out our products without our consent and we kind of just ignored it um <laughs> we, we, that doesn't sound like <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> We, um, no, no, no. We, we examined, we obviously looked at what they, we looked at the legals and what they sent us and it was more just a threat. It wasn't, there wasn't actual legal action being taken against us. They just said, we'd rather that you didn't. Mm. Um, and anyway, fast forward two years later, they are now one of our largest rental partners. So that is just a story to show, you know, Challenge the status quo. I mean, don't do anything illegal. That's not what I'm saying. What we, we what we were doing was not illegal. It was just
1: no, I didn't, they no, didn't.
0: They just didn't feel comfortable with their brand being positioned in that way. But what we were doing was completely legal because we bought and owned the garments. We could yeah. do what, whatever we wanted yeah, with them. Yeah, of course. Them. Um, but then for them then to be our customers and brand partner a couple of years later just shows that we were ahead of the time and we got it before they did. And eventually they came around to it and that was very satisfying and yeah. exciting to finally, you know, have them on board.
1: Let me, let me ask you this question though, Georgie. It's like, how, how does a brand when, I mean, this is linking into something else I want to ask you in terms of partnerships, but we'll, we'll talk about this now because it's interesting. Like, how did, how did they go from like cease and desist of like, stop doing this, mm. we prefer you stop doing this, to becoming a partner that seems like that <laughs> just seems really like one one end of the spectrum they're like against it and now they're like a partner so how did that come about
0: so it was two years of yeah. hard work and slog it was us going after every other brand getting other brands on board showing uk that there was an alternative way to consume fashion through press through partnerships through social media through working with influencers we really went hard on every single angle that we could Mm. and fashion brands like to align themselves with other brands. So the way we did it was we had some brands that were adjacent to them and once we had them on board then it was easier to get them to agree. Um, And Ghani is a very progressive sustainable fashion brand, they just hadn't come around to it yet. So Mm. They're they're an amazing brand. Honestly, they're one of the most progressive brands in terms of sustainability and their business models. Um, they just hadn't thought about it yet in the UK. We were just a bit of we're ahead of time for them. Mm.
1: I want to ask you though, Georgie. Like, what's the what's been the champ? So we are, we are, we like covered the two sided marketplace issue, like the, the the challenge there, and you you answered. But like when it comes to sustainable fashion, there are a lot of different brands doing sustainable fashion and i and not just sustainable fashion, but just sustainability businesses as a whole. Like my first ever business was in food waste, like redistribution, redistributing food waste. So I know the challenges when it comes to sustainability. Like what were the sort of challenges that you experienced when it came to growing a sustainable fashion brand?
0: Yeah, so when we started, our core mission was to make fashion consumption more sustainable. So from the very beginning, we used processes that were more eco friendly. So for example, we used um, carbon neutral delivery. We used reusable and recyclable uh, garment bags and boxes, um, and our laundry partner used wet washing and ozone cleaning, which is better for the environment than dry cleaning. So, mm. all of the every point that we could manage and use a more sustainable material or process from the very beginning, we did. And I think it's much easier to start out a business doing that, than try and retrofit your business with sustainable practices.
1: Further on down the
0: line, sometimes I'm not going to lie, it is more a little bit more expensive, and that is something you have to take on the chin immediately. Um, It's not always the sustainable option is not always the cheapest option, unfortunately. But um, the larger you get, the better margins you can have with these sustainable products, and I don't regret going at it that way.
1: Mm. So it was was the biggest challenge, I guess, like the costs when it came to, when it came to like making sustainable choices or was it like, were there any friction points when it came to say uptake of customers being like, no, I don't want sort of like someone else's clothes or like second clothes. Like was there, was there any sort of education that you needed to do in terms of, in terms of growing that size?
0: Oh yeah, completely. So it's so interesting since we started in 2019 to now, The entire industry's attitude, brand and consumer, has changed drastically. So Mm. from the consumer side of things in 2019, people still didn't really trust rental. They didn't understand the service. They thought that it would arrive. Would it arrive on time? Would it arrive clean? Is it a bit gross to wear something that somebody else has worn? And we had to do so much education. Yeah. Through social media, through influencer work, through our newsletters, educating our customers that we this is this is a seamless, hygienic, great service that will save you money. Like you don't have to go and buy these 500 pound garments; you can still access this well made fashion mm. for a much more affordable price, and it will come to you as good as new. Um, we have really good quality control, so. It was basically about building our community and educating our community. And also, educating our community not only about our services, but about the wider market shifts and about sustainability in general and like yeah. sustainable consumption and not just about rental, but encouraging people to buy less, buy better. If they need something new, use rental or buy secondhand. Our messaging has always been the best. You, the best clothing you can ever buy is the one already in your wardrobe. So mm. we're all about consume less, but better. So this has been our continual narrative since the beginning. And so we really see ourselves as like an educator for our community in this space.
1: Mm. That's a really good message because I feel like, or at least when I started my, my food surplus redistribution brand like a while ago, there was definitely groups in terms of like businesses that were really interested in so they were very easy to sign up and then I guess from your side it would be like businesses and and, and individuals that are very interested in making more sustainable choices but then they're unfortunately not the majority I would say so it's like other people you need to educate and things like that but like when it comes to education at scale is that has that been like a challenge I guess because obviously educating one person is is easy because we have a conversation like this but educating say tens of thousands or like you know it it, it requires a lot of time right has that been an issue
0: yeah so it's definitely been a challenge but that's where we use for example our social media and we do a lot of this education through social media um so featuring we share a lot of information about like sustainable books that you should be reading or like podcasts you should listen to or documentaries you should listen to and we've really all of our platforms to communicate as widely as possible. And I also just want to say uh, on the sustainability point is that yes, rental is attractive to people who are sustainably minded. Research shows that sustainability is only the third reason why people would rent something or action something. Uh, Firstly, it's product and price. Mm. So whilst sustainability is brilliant and it's something that every business should be doing in the background, sustainability is not going to sell your product like people could product at they're good at the right yeah, price yeah if you're a sustainable product that that can't be it um and so i really believe that every business should just be doing this in the background anyway in an ideal world my dream is that there's there are governmental policies in place where every single business has to take accountability mm-hmm. for the end of life of whatever products they're producing, which would encourage businesses, to, businesses to start thinking in a circular way, yeah. that absolute dream. If as a brand you produce something, you have to have a solution for it at the end of its life, yeah. rather than putting the onus on the customer, which is an enormous pressure on top of everything else for customers to be thinking about.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a wonderful point because I know a lot of people that are listening that want to start a business. and given our, sort of, our generation are very much like impact focused, I would say, like they are thinking about ideas when it comes to launching a business. And like my, that business that I talked about, that failed because I focus too much on the sustainability element and not mm. enough around, you know, saving costs for businesses or generating more revenue streams for businesses. And it's like sustainability, unfortunately, is not enough for you to scale as a business. So. If you can build in other things that I know that you're building in, such as, I mean, you literally referenced at the beginning where like they're generating new revenue streams as a as a brand and, and accessing new markets and stuff like that. That's when it becomes really exciting.
0: Completely. And that is really where we're focusing our efforts is we're showing brands that you can literally generate recurring and new revenue from these garments. I mean, how exciting that a brand can potentially create one garment only it costs them x but they can continually make money over and over again from this one garment Mm. it makes so much sense um so we really have to drive that point home with brands and then from the consumer side of things we just have to have great product at a great price Mm. because also consumers are not gonna spend too much more if just because it's sustainable
1: yeah it's an interesting one because as a as a brand, you make more sustainable choices because you want to come across as more sustainable. So as you said, you have to like buy those more expensive items and, and you know, offset certain things, which obviously costs money as well. But the the consumer very rarely does that, which is quite interesting. Because I mean, it's not riffle I would say, because it's like especially with costs going up and things like that, it's not it's very difficult for them to make sustainable choices when, you know, they're money's already struggling anyway.
0: Completely I mean with this cost of living crisis you can't blame people for making economic decisions over sustainable decisions mm. you have they have to people have to look after themselves first and foremost um, and that's what economic climate is going to encourage over the next couple of years so all of your businesses sustainable efforts need to be happening in the background and just encourage people to try and think differently or it's actually just about consuming less. Yeah. (laughs) It truly is. People don't need so much stuff. Honestly, people just need to consume less. And when they are consuming, they need to make better decisions. And that is economically Mm. friendly.
1: Yeah. So for, for right now, like what's the state of the business? And also like, what have you seen in terms of like the, the most sort of fruitful growth channels that you guys have implemented when it came to because you guys are so you said 2019 so you got this is your what fourth year now
0: yes so we are leaning heavily into b2b now so we have primarily been operating on our b 2 b to c marketplace platform but where we really see the opportunity profitability as well as global reach and impact is when direct with fashion brands Mm -hmm. so what we're doing is we're developing a b2b SaaS technology that will power brands rental and resale journey and that will be a light touch scalable piece of technology for us so that we don't have to be so operations heavy
1: Mm. and i mean i'm guessing as well like with that it doesn't you're not pushing people to your own brand. You're just like taking care of the technology side from that brand. Yeah. So it's like, obviously it's operationally and also like marketing and stuff. You don't have to worry about it as much, which, yeah. is, which is a good thing. But in terms of the existing business right now, you're, so you're growing the brand side and and the customer side. Like what's been the biggest growth channels would you say?
0: So I think we Our biggest growth channels are certainly traditional marketing avenues like social media, Google, Um, but something that we've really focused on in the past and going forward is partnerships, because this is a fantastic opportunity to reach new markets, reach new customers, and what we did, this was a really fun exercise that I encourage everyone to do, is partnerships exercise, where you write down all of the brands that align with your values. So firstly, you obviously need to know what your values are as a brand, but then you do an exercise where you're like, okay, if I was a beauty brand, who would we be? They align with all of our values, aesthetically, vibe, target market, and you literally write every single brand that you can think of that you would be if you were a beauty brand. Who would you be if you were an airline? Who would you be if you were a hotel? Who would you be if you were a snack? And that produces a list of, you know, 50 brands that align with your values, align with your mission, align with your audience that you can then go out to and ask for partnerships Mm -hmm. because partnerships have been crucial to our growth. Like we partnered, one of the coolest partnerships we did was with Airbnb, whereby you could rent your holiday home and then they were also encouraging you to rent your holiday outfit because holiday is one of going on holiday is one of the most wasteful times in terms of fashion with people owning garments and wearing them for one week and then never looking at them again yeah, so true. that was a really cool partnership to do with airbnb and we reached so many more customers we also for example partner with depop and depop could technically be considered as one of our competitors because we both do resale of yeah. fashion but we partnered with them and we reached so many new a much bigger audience um so i yeah i really couldn't encourage possible
1: what the question i have for you though because like these partnerships so you outline all these different partnerships that you want to do like if if say you you, you want to operate in this industry in this industry that's a really good exercise to do when it actually comes to going out there and you know getting it done and executing on that list you managed to do like Airbnb, as you mentioned, Tommy Hilfiger, which I saw as well, which is really cool. How did you actually like manage to do those, given that you were such a young brand and also going against the status quo? Wow,
0: well, LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn, just relentless, honestly, messages. honestly, relentless emailing and reaching out and LinkedIn. Um, all I can say is try and try until you get somewhere like yeah. There's no shortcut, I don't have any tips and tricks. It's literally just being on LinkedIn, finding the right person and messaging them with a very compelling message as to why this would be a good partnership. So don't just be like, hey, can we chat? Be like, I think that this would benefit your brand because of X. Be very purposeful about any communication that you have upfront immediately.
1: Just just so people understand the sort of scale to this, because like with my brand, like we're going, obviously we do partnerships as well. Probably not as heavy as what you guys do in terms of like outreach, but like just so people understand how many like LinkedIn messages were you, were you doing? How many emails were you sending just on the partnership side before you got say, Tommy Hilfiger before you got Airbnb?
0: Gosh, I don't even know how I'd quantify that. It was years of work. <laughs> <laughs> From 2019 to, we did the Airbnb partnership in 2020, 2021. So that was, yeah, two years of just building your business and building your brand. And I think once there is a little bit of brand recognition out there and people start to be like, oh, yeah, I've heard of you, that makes it much easier, to be honest. And that is just through brand building. That's, Mm. it's, it's not... I can't only say it's from cold emailing people. It's also the stuff you're doing in the background to build up your brand and the brand recognition and PR is so important. I can't stress how valuable that's been to our business and the brand awareness and helping us land these partnerships. Because when you email someone and you're like, hey, this is my business, this is what we wanna to do together and they've actually heard of you, that, isn't, that really helps. Mm. Um, but I have LinkedIn Premium, so, I mean, you pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> so that you can send unlimited, unlimited messages because you're going to need them.
1: Do you, do you factor in within your day, say, like messaging a lot of these people, like fashion brands and, and other sorts of... On, on LinkedIn, like, do you, obviously, like LinkedIn Premium helps, but obviously, like, you have to actually spend the time in, of doing it. So... How much sort of time do you allocate towards something like that?
0: Yeah, so now we have a um, head of commercial who does this. I would be lying if I said that I was doing all of this right now at this time.
1: But back in the day, you were. Back doing in all
0: the day, I was, I, Back in the day, I was doing absolutely everything, yeah. and yeah, I would just schedule a portion of my day to, you know, spend a morning outreaching, as and when, as much as I could. Because that was all part of the business growth. I needed brands on board. I needed to find the right person within all of those brands. And I needed to get through to them.
1: Yeah, and this is, this is the difficult thing. Like when I see a lot of people like, oh, I can't be like, it just feels like I'm hitting a dead wall all the time, like brick wall every time. Like, I'm just messaging so many people, they're not replying to me. They're not, and if they do, like they're just like, not interested. So like, you must have got a ton of no's before you even got like a fans.
0: Oh, yeah, completely. I think I'm immune to no's at this stage. It's just you can't even take it personally. I don't take it no's personally in business and fundraising. You have to have mental self-belief and you have to truly believe in your business mission yeah. to continue going.
1: Mm. So, Georgia, I want to like wrap up the podcast soon. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. How? Like, I want to see what the next phase of Ritaro is. So like, what, what is the next stage for, for you guys?
0: So the next phase is really leaning into B2B SaaS tech. Got you. Which is truly going to be our future. This way we can really have global reach and increase our scale exponentially we don't have to only stick in the UK and be restricted by operational limitations Mm -hmm. so I'm really excited to bring circularity to as many retail brands as possible and not only it only have to be luxury fashion it can be a homeware brand it could be a fashion brand it could be a sports and all of these businesses and retailers are thinking about circularity and I really want to be the go-to circular fashion tech partner for any retailer. So that's where we headed.
1: I love that, that's amazing, that's so good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. How can people stay in touch with you and and your journey?
0: Thank you so much, thanks for having me. So you can follow me on Instagram, I'm Georgie Hyatt. I'm also on TikTok, I don't really post much, but um, I should. And for Retaro, we're just Retaro. R O T A R O on Instagram and TikTok. You. So give us a follow and keep in touch with our journey.
1: Okay, lovely. Thank you so much, Connor Gwen. And yeah, I'm sure we'll chat very soon. Thank, Thank you so you much.
0: So much.